this evening, first want to uh, turn in our scriptures to the book of Psalms. I want to read, first of all, Psalm 40 in its entirety. That's going to be our focus this evening. And then we will look in the, Old, or in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 10, looking at the first 18 verses. So first of all, Psalm 40, uh, reading the entire psalm. I ask that as we think upon God's word, be reminded this is God's holy, authoritative, inspired, and infallible word. Psalm 40, to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin and offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I desire to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. And then to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, reading the first 18 verses. We read this. For since the law has been has but a shadow of the good things to come, and said the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they have not would they not have ceased or to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year. 
For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came to the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at a service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down on the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. And after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Since the reading of God's word and may he bless it unto us. You may be seated. Let's go to our Lord for just a moment in prayer. Well, Lord our God, this is your word. It's useful for correcting and teaching, rebuking and training us in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, we need these words today. We need to hear uh, these words uh, for our own sanctification. And so, Lord... Open these words to us. Speak to us by your word and spirit. And for we pray all this in Jesus' name. Let us say, Amen. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, Psalm 40 has been a psalm that has become very meaningful for me in recent days. Without going into all the intricate details, we find here David is speaking uh, be, speaking while being what we might say in the pits. David is the man after God's own heart, and yet we read here in the account of, of David that even the greatest of saints experience muddy times, and kings can find themselves in the midst of slimy pits. David, uh, as scholars suggest, may have written this while he was on the run from King Saul. Uh, he, a, a king who is driven by such hatred and jealousy uh, that he pursued David's life. And David, in the midst of those circumstances, writes to us about getting out of the pits. That's the title of the message today. tonight, is Out of the Pits. And what David is telling us is that when we're in the pit, we're called to wait intently on the Lord and proclaim His goodness even when He answers. As mentioned, 
In recent days, I feel like I've been in the pits. And maybe tonight you're here and you're sensing that as well. And if you're not, let me just encourage you that um, you might someday soon. But Psalm 40 gives us some encouragement. I want us to look at this in three parts. There's a sense of a past and a present and a future in this psalm. And that's what I want to look at this evening. I want us to think about, first of all, praising God for His past deliverance. Uh, Secondly, to give to God our present. And then, trust God for the future. That's our three points this evening that we're going to look at briefly. To praise God for His past deliverance, to give God our present, and to trust Him for our future. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we look at this psalm. Psalm 40. First of all, let's look at praising God for his past deliverance. David, notice this is a song, the choir master, it's a song to be sung. And David here writes, I've waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Reminds me of the story in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is thrown into a waterless cistern where he literally sinks in the mud and it's until a foreigner named Ebed-Melech uh, who intercedes for him and pulls him out. David's not in a literal mud, uh, but he is in a metaphoric mud. A point in his life where circumstances had trapped him, where he felt like he was unable to free himself. But did you know how the psalm begins? I waited patiently. This is not, by the way, a passive like waiting like we might in the doctor's office where we're busy reading every magazine they have waiting to be seen. This is an active waiting. This is a crying out deliverance, but this is a sense of, tr- of, of an active faith in the midst of all what David's going on. To endure and to trust. To wait patiently upon our God. And David waits patiently and notice how God responds. He delivers him. He inclined to, to me and heard my cry. One of the things that we learn throughout the Psalms uh, is this importance of prayer. Of crying out to the Lord. Uh, in, in, in preaching through the Psalms, one thing you realize is the Psalms really encompass the Christian life. It's not all highs. There's Psalms that speak of the lows. There's not all mountaintop experiences. There's valleys that we read about in the Psalms. But one of the things that David, in his Psalms, as well as other psalmists, Encourage us to go directly to God. He, to wait patiently for Him and to trust that God is going to answer. And so we can cry out to Him in our times of need. We can cry out to Him in those times where we feel like there's no, no way of escaping the circumstances we're in. God delivers Him. And David then responds, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making 
my steps secure. This idea of this, this, this ground, that's, uh, this, this mud that's, that's slimy and slippery and swampy and dirty and dingy and even dangerous. I think all of us at one point or another, whether we were adults, probably more likely as kids, that feeling of walking in that mud and you get to that, that mud that sucks your boot right off your foot. And you try to pick it up, and your shoe or your foot or your boot stays there. But uh, and you're hopping around, making sure you don't uh, step in the mud. That's the kind of mud here that uh, that that is described here. Uh, David is is at a point where he can't get out; he can't escape. But when he cries out to God, he trusts and knows that God has drew him up. God will draw us up in the midst of our circumstances. And we have faced a lot of circumstances. We face a lot of so-called pits. Some of them are brought on upon ourselves by our own sins. David learns that. In 2 Samuel 11, we read David should have been on the battlefield. And instead he's in his palace. And he sees a woman named Bathsheba. And that leads to adultery and murder. David is, David's been caught up in his own sins. And, and tonight, maybe the pit that we're facing right now, the circumstances, is brought upon ourselves because of our own sinfulness. Because we are, we are living in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, sin, a sinful life, an addiction, or maybe one sin's led to another, and it feels like you can't get out of it. But we can go to God for help. Others of us may be facing a, a pit of personal defeat. Uh, maybe you feel like everywhere you turn, everything you do fails. You don't feel like you're successful at anything, and so you become discouraged. And David says, David says wait patiently, and God will give you the victories you need in that time. In his own perfect time. Others of us might even be facing a pit of bad habits. Uh, bad habits, addictions, or, or tempers, or, or self-pity, or laziness, or overeating, or, or a, a, a plethora of bad habits. And we feel like we're trapped by those habits. Some of those... Some of those pits that we're facing are just is just what I would call life. It's not sins. It's not defeats. It's not bad habits. It's simply living in this world. In this wicked, cruel world. There's a lot of pits that we're facing. Whether it, and you might be in one kind of pit and, and you might get out of that only to find yourself in a different pit. But David here, in the midst of his circumstances, he recognizes not only did God draw him from a pit of destruction, not only out of a miry bog, but he set his feet upon a rock. He made his steps secure. There is stability in the Lord God. There's no more slipping. No more sliding. 
In 2 Corinthians, as Paul is writing to a, a church that's questioning his apostleship, questioning his calling, questioning his ministry, Paul, in the midst of those circumstances, he writes, we're hard-pressed but on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Paul experienced, like David, the stability in the Lord. The security. And in verse 3, David then responds and says, I put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. David is praising God because God has delivered him in the past. This psalm is not about man. This psalm is about what God has done. David is saying, is, is praising God and, 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 and praying that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. A believer in Christ Jesus, you know the ultimate deliverance is that Jesus, through Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. Through that once-for-all sacrifice, we read in Hebrews chapter 10, through that once-for-all sacrifice, we no longer have to face a, 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 a punishment for our sins, the wrath of God that's been appeased, that propitiation for our sins, Jesus Christ through the death and resurrection. No wonder that Paul calls Christ the rock. It's in him that we have security. It's in Him that we have hope. It's in Him and because of Him that we praise our God. So David praises God for His past, for his past deliverance. And tonight it may be wise for us to reflect upon what we've been saved from. So that we, our hearts are filled with praise. And our words are full of joy and what God has done for us. So David writes, first of all, about praising God for his past deliverance. That leads to a second point. We see in verses 4 through 10, uh, the second point is give to God our present. So the here and now, what are we called to do? David says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie. David here in the verses 4 through 10 gets very practical, gets very personal as he, as he reflects upon God's goodness to him. He calls those to trust in him. To taste, as he says in a different psalm, to taste and see that the Lord is good. The illustration that I regarding that is it's possible that you could be invited to the most incredible banquet ever. Where the food is, is top notch. But you're never going to know how good it tastes and, or how good it is. Until you taste it. And there's, some, there's, some, there's an element of truth to that regarding God's goodness. You're not going to know really how good God is until you learn to trust in Him. 
David says, give to God our present. So in the here, in the now, be willing to trust in the Lord. Notice too, it says, be willing to turn away from those who are proud. Verse 4. To not be with those who are proud. Not to be with those who are arrogant. Not to be around those who trust in themselves, who mock God. We need to be humble and dependent people. We need to uh, avoid, uh, must be willing to to turn away from falsehoods. We see that in verse 4 as well. To not live, not to, uh, it doesn't help us at all to be uh, living a lie. But to be honest and in Live our lives with integrity. It's there we find God's blessings. Verse 5 then gives us another thing about our present. We should be having a high and holy concept of God. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds, your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. We sing amazing grace, but are we really amazed? Because I think there are some that are very dazed. They don't understand. It's dazed grace. Or it's unfazed grace. Well, whatever. Shrug our shoulders. But brothers and sisters of Christ, do we not sing amazing grace? How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. We should marvel at the works of God. We should stand in awe of who God is and what He's capable of doing. And then in verses 6 through 8, we find that in our present, if we're going to give God our present, we must also be ready and willing to obey the Word of God. And what we learn here in these verses that David moves from a pit to a rock and now to the sanctuary, he teaches us a very important principle that obedience takes precedence over sacrifice. We read that in Hebrews chapter 10. God's not necessarily impressed with religious sacrifices or ritual worship or mere ceremony unless it involves a commitment to oneself. David learned something about this because in the life of Saul, Saul offers a sacrifice. He was very sincere about it, but he was also very wrong about it. And what God desires us to surrender our hearts to Him, to love Him, to love His Word. To obey Him. It's a sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you give me an open ear. Burnt offering, since our offering you have not required. And I said, Behold, I've come in the scroll of the book. It has written me, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Jeremiah teaches us something about a priority of obedience over sacrifice. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 33 says that having the law in our hearts is a proper definition of what it means to be in a right relationship with God. Jesus himself spoke about the heart, stressing that the hearts, people's hearts are callous. He told, uh, he taught his disciples to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors ourselves. Uh, he said out of the heart comes many things, out of the mouth comes many things uh, from the heart. And he speaks of all these sins. And so we find here, in our present, to give of our hearts. That's the sacrifice that we give. We don't give our, we're not bringing animals to church. 
Uh, we're, not, uh, uh, we're not offering some sort of sacrifices. Christ was that once for all sacrifice. Now all Christ asks is that we give of our hearts. And then finally, verses 9 through 10, there's one last thing to give. And that's our witness. Jesus said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Psalm 40 teaches that if our hearts are open to the, God's word and are being cleansed and reformed by it, then our mouths is, are going to speak God's word and going to praise him. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As David is facing uh, the difficulties, and as he's writing this, uh, it's not done yet. If he wrote this during the time when he's running from Saul, he was running for 10 years. Some of us, uh, we might feel very sheepish when we think of our circumstances. Because we might be, have been dealing with this for a couple days. And David has to deal with these circumstances for 10 years. And yet in the midst of all this, he's still speaking about God's word. He's still speaking up for God. He's still testifying to God's goodness and God's grace, of God's righteousness, of God's faithfulness, of God's salvation, of His steadfast love. He's telling them when they are low, they can find deliverance in God. He's talking about how David can say to people, you know what, I know what it's like to be in that miry bog. I know what it's like to be in that pit of despair. I know what it's like, but God can raise you up and set your feet upon a rock. If you've experienced the righteousness of God towards you and through faith in Christ, if you have found the Lord faithful to you, if you know His salvation is good, if you know that He loves you and, has, and you know His truth in the Scripture, then let's speak about it. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for everyone who believes. Whether it's on Penn State's campus, or whether it's in your own community, your own workplace, wherever it may be, give God our present. We're giving God our hearts. We're giving God our mouths. We're giving God our very lives. And obedience. For obedience is better than sacrifice. And that leads us to a third point tonight. One last point, and that is this, to trust God in the future. And that's what the rest of the psalm of Psalm 40 speaks about. Verses 11 through 17, David prays, Lord, look, you know what? I know you've delivered me in the past. I know that you're with me right now. And guess what? I know I'm going to get myself in trouble again. There's a, a video, and, and, and uh, having teenagers, uh, you know, I, I, I get... Uh, I, I get, uh, I get the opportunity to look at some very strange videos that my kids enjoy. But there's one, you might have seen it, it's a picture of a, of a sheep who's caught in a cleft of a rock, and it's, all, it's got its legs are the only thing that's sticking out. The shepherd comes, and he pulls the sheep out, and, you know, and, and you know, you're thinking, oh, this is great. And the sheep takes one jump and then falls himself in the same crack, head first, looking just like he was. Some of you might, have known, might know exactly which video I'm talking about. 
That's us. Hate to say it, but that's us. Because God will deliver us. God will set us up. God will get us get us to a point. And you know what we do? We go run right back into the same bog. We get out of those circumstances, whether it's our sins or whether it's bad habits or, or, or whatever it may be. And guess what happens? We do it all over again. And David in verses 11 through 17 reminds us to trust God for our future. To know that God will help us. David started this psalm by being in a hopeless situation. By describing himself being in a slimy, muddy pit. How he had waited upon God and God delivered him. God lifted him up. God set his feet on a rock. And yet, David still faces trouble. And so do we. David writes, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain. Verse 11, your mercy from me, your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see there more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. This is be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Life is always full of troubles. We live in a sinful, evil world. And yet we should be embracing Jesus' words to us in in John 16. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. David here is asking God for help. He's waited patiently. And now here, it's as if David is still waiting. Because he knows he's going to need future deliverances. What does he know as he trusts God in the future? Notice um, some things that he trusts God in the future about. He knows that, first of all, verses 11 and 12, that he's not going to withhold his compassion. David is going to fail and sin against God, but when he turns to God, he trusts in God, God will be compassionate and merciful. Verses 11 and 12, we find too that as David trusts God in the future, he knows that God is going to continually instruct him. And going to preserve him. Verses 11 and 12 speaks about all these evils that are going on. But notice he says at the end of verse 11, Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Reminds me of Jesus' words when he says, when he says that all that the Father has given me, I by, no mean, by, I, I by no means will cast out. All that he's given, he's in my hand. This is grace. He will preserve us forever. God will preserve us. Verse 13, David prays for uh, a speedy deliverance. Make haste to help me. Verse 14, uh, David says, bring shame and humiliation uh, to to those who dishonor your... those who dishonor his people. David doesn't speak of his enemies by name, uh, but he knows that they hate him. They know that he ha- they hate God. And so David prays for shame and humiliation. And to that, to, to us, that seems very strange to pray. Because we know that Jesus said to love our enemies and pray for them. But if our enemies are not going to repent of their sins and not trust in, in Christ, then we pray that God would use whatever means he can To reveal his glory. Even if that means 
Verse 14, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who sneak to snatch my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor. Verses 15, uh, we say, bring understanding. Uh, bring, you, you, bring those who seek Him a sense of unity. Let those be appalled, verse 15, because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But then in verse 16, but may all who seek you Rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. If you're here tonight and you're thinking, as you evaluate your life, I'm not in that pit. Let's rejoice and be glad in that. Let's say great is the Lord. And you know what? For those of us who are in the pit, who feel like the struggles of life are real, and we're feeling burdened by this and anxious by this, let's unite together and let's say, as crazy as the world thinks this, this sounds, great is the Lord. To rejoice and be glad. Because God delivers His people. And David knows that. David has experienced this. So he can, he can uh, praise God for his past. He can give God his present. He can trust God for his future. And that's where we're at too. One of the reasons why I love Psalm 40 is because it seems so simple and yet it's so amazingly profound because I know there are times where I don't praise God for my past. And I know there are times where I don't give God my present like I should. And I know that I don't necessarily trust Him for my future either. But David reminds us of these, these important truths. And that's where we end with verse 17. But as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay Oh my God. This is the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, who says, I am poor and needy. That does not sound like a polit- any political figure we might know. But we are poor and needy. And the Lord looks after us. He remembers us. He cares for us. He loves us. He helps us. He delivers us. And so, brothers and sisters, if we are in the pits and want to get out of it, or if tomorrow something happens where you find yourself in the pits, I don't mean to concern you, but as a minister, it's tough at times when you preach a sermon on Sunday only to find out on Monday you have to actually live your own sermon that you preached. And so maybe tonight you're going, things are good. But let's remember Psalm 40. Let's remember Psalm 40. Let's sing about Psalm 40 as we have already sung half of it. Let's speak of Psalm 40. Let's tell others about how God has rescued us from the pits. Let us look back at how God has, has saved us and praise Him for the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, the ultimate pit of destruction from which we've been spared. 
Let's give God our present. Let's, let's sing a little louder. Let's pray a little more. Let's spend time in His Word. Let's, let's enjoy the fellowship of the saints. Let's tell others. Let's tell others that even though we're poor and needy, God takes thought of us. That God is our help. That God is our deliverer. I waited patiently for the Lord and He climbed to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. May we see. May we fear. May we put our trust in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Merciful God, you are our help and our deliverer. And we are poor and needy. Oh Lord, help remind us of that as we live our day-to-day lives. As we may find ourselves in the pit or making, or, or making a beeline in our spiritual walk towards that pit. Lord, whatever the circumstances are, may we uh, praise you for how you've delivered us. May we give to you ourselves in obedience in the present. And Lord, may we trust you for our future. Lord, thank you for Psalm 40. Thank you that Christ Jesus was indeed that once for all sacrifice for our sakes. We thank you that he is the rock on on whom we stand upon. Lord, bless these words unto us, we pray in Jesus' name. And let all of God's people say, Amen.